Today I'll be reading out of Psalm 127, and if you want to look at your uh, pew Bibles, it could be found on page 613. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruits of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that you'd help us to uh, understand these words and uh, just the whole um, summer series that we're going to be going through on the, uh, on the Psalms and just the wisdom that's in there. And just pray that you'd help our pastor to communicate it to us and pray that we would be attentive to hear, listen, and obey what uh, is spoken. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Good morning. I trust you had a great time celebrating the birth of our nation this past week. Hopefully you have a rain jacket for the rest of this week. This morning we're going to be starting our new series uh, in the Proverbs. So if you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. I had Dave uh, read our Scripture reading from Psalm 127. If you noticed, as if you turn there in your Bible, that it's a psalm of Solomon. He's the king of Israel. He's the wisest man to ever live. A song that he wrote so that God's people might worship their loving father. But it's based on wisdom. A friend of mine, uh, a pastor down in Massachusetts, he loves to say of this psalm, Psalm 127, we do something, God does everything. We watch and the Lord is the one who is ultimately watching. The Lord builds, but we are there laboring. We rest and sleep, but God never needs to. We have children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127 is a perfect example of wisdom. The abundantly wise King Solomon, reflecting on his life, he wants God's people to see a bigger picture of the world. And ultimately, God is providentially in control of all things. John Piper calls God's providence his purposeful sovereignty, by which he will be completely successful in achieving its ultimate goal for the universe. It's the wise application of his sovereignty, which is his providence. And this is going to be important as we go through the book of Proverbs. So let me pray and we will read uh, what we see in Proverbs chapter 1. Remembering we do something, God does everything. Father, we thank you for this morning and we come to you in prayer knowing that we do something. We are lifting up these words to you, our hearts, we desire to open up to you. God, would you unstop our ears? Would you give us eyes to see wondrous things in your word? 
as we submit ourselves to your scripture, as we hear it preached, as we hear it prayed, as we hear it sung, God, would you do everything and transform our hearts, conform us more to the image of your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read our first seven verses of Proverbs chapter one. We'll set the stage. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We'll stop there for a sec. Today's time in the book of Proverbs will set the stage for the rest of our summer. Three things that I want you to hear and understand this morning. Who wrote the Proverbs? Why it was written? And what is its ultimate purpose? What is it looking forward to? You might be wondering how we're going to cover all of the Proverbs in one summer series. We won't cover all of the Proverbs. We will have a flyover. If you've ever flown across the country, uh, you would see geographic characteristics of the country and maybe understand where you're at. You're probably not surprised by those who know me that I'd like to know uh, what is going to take place, what I'm going to see. Uh, and so I oftentimes will just constantly look out the window because I want to get off of the airplane. But if you're flying from east to west, maybe you see vast deserts. And you're like, okay, maybe I'm in Arizona. Or you see these real mountains, uh, tall mountains. Maybe you're in Colorado or you're going over the Sierra Nevada mountains or you're flying over very flat land and you see these big circles of crops and you're maybe in the Midwest somewhere or if you're flying north to south you're going over a city you're like oh I know New York City as I'm flying over that or I see a beach and maybe I know where that might be so each week as we go through the book of Proverbs, we're going to be having a vast, long flyover, looking out the window, and we're going to see some of the key themes in the book of Proverbs. And I think today, chapter one, will be very helpful in helping us to set the stage of how we approach what we're looking out the window, how we should prepare for the journey. And so first, who wrote Proverbs. Let's consider the pilot of the plane. As you see in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He's not the only one who wrote some of the Proverbs. Some were anonymous and some are labeled under King Lemuel in the, the end and a guy named Agur. I don't know who they are, uh, but they're important because they wrote God's word. And as a background, I think it's important to understand Solomon primarily who we see in our text this morning. When Solomon was sleeping, 1 Kings chapter 3, you might be familiar with the story, God visited him in a dream. He had just become king over Israel and God asked Solomon, what do you want from me? What shall I give you as your reign is being established? And here's what Solomon said again in his dream. 
He said, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern your great people. Solomon is asking for wisdom. And due to his unselfish request, God gives him the wisdom he asked for, but he also gives him the honor and the power and the resources and the riches of being the king. Some historians suggest that Solomon is not only the wisest man who has ever lived, but the richest man who has ever lived and walked on this earth all during Solomon's dream while he was sleeping. We do something, God does everything. God is always working even when we are sleeping. But having wisdom doesn't always mean that we live wisely, does it? The narrator records some eight chapters later in 1 King this, Solomon had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. Solomon ended up being a fool. Trust the pilot guiding us through Proverbs, but the pilot isn't the man Solomon, it's God. We do something, God does everything. And so this summer we will gain wisdom related to marriage, to business, to home life, to family, but these are not guarantees of success. Consider this. If I were asked to conduct a wedding ceremony, I would ask this couple, say, you need to sit down with me to do some premarital counseling. But even my 19 years or so of marriage wouldn't guarantee success for this couple soon to be married. You learn more about marriage by being married than reading a book or talking to myself by submitting to what is in the scripture. The same with parenting. You parents, you know that, or running a business. Marriage books are great. Business books are great. Parenting books are very helpful. But life is not always in the bounds of what we see in these books that we read. Wisdom, though, as we see in the scripture, is preparation for what could come in the future. Likely outcomes, not guarantees, but likely outcomes of what would happen if we gave ourselves to certain things. Proverbs are conventional principles. They're not prepackaged, guaranteed truths that if we do them, these things will happen. Solomon, we see, acted like a fool. And we can admit, we do too at times. This is not going to be a sermon series on five ways to a healthy marriage or seven ways to get out of debt or seven steps to a perfect prayer life. Solomon, towards the end of his life, observing the world around him, his own mistakes, he gives to God's people. Here's some wisdom that I've learned. I think you should follow it to pass on to the next generation. We see in this section to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity. He could have said it just one time, but he said it over and over again. He really cares about who is going to be reading this. These are God's words, friends, for us to be wise people. And God, the author, is a good father. Consider the fatherly language from chapter three. My son, 
Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son, and whom he delights. And our understanding of God is always going to be that of analogy. With our finite limitations of understanding and language, all we can do is describe what God is like. He's like this, or he acts like that. Words cannot fully communicate the vast truth and knowledge of the infinite God of the universe in whom we worship. And so Proverbs are finite observations to us from an infinite God who knows all things. Proverbs' purpose is to obtain and to apply wisdom, to give knowledge, increase our learning, have good instruction, to search out truth. It comes from many analogies. Describing Vermont winter as being cold doesn't always do it justice, does it? Do you remember that negative 40 degree wind chill day that we had this past winter? Some of us, we went to the Dartmouth hockey game that night and we walked to the car. I think it was a quarter mile. I can now truly understand what Vermont cold, even though it was New Hampshire, because it was colder, I think, here at, at home. When that winter breath gum commercials come on and you see the picture of the chill goes down someone's throat, I know what that feels like now. I know what that truly is. And it's an analogy to help describe what is truly taking place. In our limitations to clarity and perfection, we are called to be wise. Over the last three years, if we, I had asked you to raise your hand, we have all prayed, God, give me wisdom and fill in the blank. And I don't think the church was entirely prepared for what we went through over the last three, not just this church, the church around the world. Two weeks to flatten the curve turned into over two years. Should I get a vaccine or not? Should I send my kids to that school or this school? Should I homeschool? What about the event? Should I go to it? It doesn't matter what side you're on, left or right, red or blue. We need wisdom because the world around us is utterly foolish. One thing I've come to appreciate is the wisdom of silence. I wondered why some who we even partner with have never said anything about some of the issues going on around us, like the SBC with women in pastoral ministry or Acts 29 or accusations that are going around the world. But Proverbs 18, 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines it. And so the God, the author, teaches us that there's wisdom in being silent. And friends, that might be our best recipe for success. The world brings vitriol, swift debates. Silence, though, might prove to be most wise. If we respond to the arguers, we're keeping them employed. That's what they want. Sometimes it's wise to speak up, and sometimes it's wise to hold our tongue. So our first point, God is the author. He knows everything. Graciously, the Proverbs purpose is to lead us and guide us according to God's will. To be wise, we must follow the pilot's instruction. We must walk with the Lord. Adam and Eve, if you're familiar with Genesis 1, we just saw in their video for the kids' curriculum that they walked with the Lord in the garden. 
but they didn't listen to God's word and they proved to be foolish. Genesis 5, there was a guy that named Enoch. If you're familiar with the story, he walked with the Lord and then it says, and he was not, for God took him. A tombstone that reads, he or she walked with the Lord, friends, is much more valuable than I really destroyed that person online in that debate. In Deuteronomy 17, God warned Israel, don't wish for a king. He will acquire wives and horses, excessive wealth, silver and gold. But they were foolish. If you're familiar with 1 Samuel, they wanted their own king to be like the rest of the nations. And so they got Saul, a really worthless fool of a king. They got David, but then they got Solomon. And we see what his life looked like. God wants us to remember to walk in the way in his way. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul tells the Galatian church, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Proverbs will purpose us and help us to walk with the Lord by the power of the Spirit, wisely trusting God to work as he does everything while we do something. The Bible, friends, is our North Star, and Proverbs is one tool and manual to guide us in how to live. Look again at verse 7. All of the Proverbs, all of the scriptures start with a proper idea of who God is. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is rightly applied knowledge. You can know a lot of things about God, but actually doing something about it according to the scripture is wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So just consider the last sermon series we did in 1 Timothy where Paul was calling Timothy and in turn this Ephesian church to live godly lives in the midst of a foolish false teaching happening amongst their church. When God's eyes, faithfulness is trusting him, following him, knowing that he is God and he does everything while we do something. The pilot here is communicating to the reader, here's where we're gonna go on the journey. One commentator says, Proverbs states its theme right at the beginning. Its goal is to describe and instill wisdom in God's people, a wisdom that is founded in the fear of the Lord and that works out covenant life in the practical details of every situation and our relationships. And so who wrote Proverbs? God did. Why was it written? For the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is bittersweet. It's reverential submission for us as Christians, but it's dread for the one who's still in their sin. The fear of the Lord is the motivation for wisdom and proper motivation to live a proper life. And this book will exhort us to pay attention. The fear of the Lord is fleeing foolishness. Look at verses eight to 19. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland on your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, a term for hell, let us swallow them alive and whole. 
like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. There is a difference between being a fool and being a child. More frequent than adults, hopefully, children act oftentimes out of ignorance. On 4th of July, we repeated these phrases over and over again. Hold the lighter further away from the firework. Don't hold the firework like that. Careful with that metal sparkler, it gets hot. Throw it further away from your sibling. Careful, your sister's right behind you. Keep it away from the barn wood. Children do childish things out of ignorance. But foolishness is different. Foolishness is disregarding the instruction. When you get pulled over for texting while driving, the cop does not care if you said, oh, I forgot that that's a law that I'm not supposed to text while driving. Or maybe you have a boss that says, hey, this project is due on Monday by 5 o'clock. And he calls you at 5.05 and says, where is it? You said, oh, I had other more important things to do. He's not going to care. Or, I'm sorry I overslept. If you're a kid, maybe you get a tardy. If you're an employee at a company, maybe you lose your job. If it happens over and over again. Fools disregard instruction and fail to rightly apply wisdom. Foolishness is enticing for temporal pleasure, you see in verse 10. But over long-term gain and wisdom, it fails to provide the benefit we think it will. Foolishness, we see in verses 10 to 12, mimics robbery, lying in wait, ready to ambush, seeking to steal our biblical joy. And worst of all, foolishness robs of life. And if persisted, casts one into hell. It never satisfies, friends. It is self-destructive. Foolishness is following the serpent in the garden. You hear me say this over and over again. When the serpent tested Eve, did God really say that? Wisdom is responding, yes, he did, and I'm going to do it. Depart from me, Satan. Wisdom calls us to turn from our foolishness, enticing us to proper living. Look at the rest of the chapter. It doesn't just call us away from foolishness. It calls us to live wisely. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have acted, you have ignored all my counsel. 
and would not have and would have none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This chapter ends with the words of a prophet from the Old Testament. And oftentimes we think about a prophet in the Old Testament as looking forward and casting a vision of what will come down the road. But oftentimes we see the prophets in the Old Testament as stop going down this path, go down this path as God's word leads us. They call God's people to obey the Bible, to follow the scriptures, to turn from our sin and our foolishness and turn to God and repent. Friends, that is wisdom. Proverbs 9 will talk about this lady folly. Let me read it. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of the town, calling to all those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him hear, turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dread are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. It's like an, an adulteress waiting there, luring in a man and it's folly that is calling. Don't continue down straight. Hey, turn in here, come into here and wisdom is at the crossroads. In verse 21 of our passage, it's at the head of a bustling road, the city gate, where all the roads then spread out from that point. Wisdom calls, come this way. Don't go down the path of fools. But fools hate knowledge, we see in verse 29. They don't choose to fear the Lord. If you planted seeds tomorrow for tomatoes, not only will they wash away, but they probably won't produce enough fruit for you to harvest good tomatoes before it gets cold around here. Verse 31 suggests we eat what we sow. So will we sow wisdom or will we sow foolishness? Will, be a, will, be, will we be a church? Will we be men and women of wisdom or foolishness. It's our Heavenly Father who calls us to sow good fruit, fruit that lasts, fruit that nourishes, food that's satisfied. Where we do something, God does everything. Friends, if you're familiar with Galatians 5, it's the fruit of the Spirit that is produced in us by submitting to and believing the gospel. And the chapter ends with the way of the fool clearly leading to his death. Friends, God gives us his word, including the Proverbs, specifically so that we might live. This is the capstone. This encapsulates everything that we are seeing. And Lord willing, this summer, we will become a wiser church. But it doesn't seek to guarantee our success. But God's way of wisdom does lead to life. 
as we trust God with the fruit that is produced. Studying for a certification won't guarantee that you'll pass, but wisdom proves that if you study, you'll have a higher likelihood of passing. Not using credit for every purchase won't guarantee that you won't spend more than you earn, but it does have a high likelihood of wisdom to not go down that path. Praying with your family, sharing the gospel with your children, it won't guarantee that your children will become Christians. Nor does sharing the gospel with your friends or coworkers, but it's got a good track record of success, and God does use faithfulness of his people to produce fruit. God does everything, and we do something. God calls us to faithfulness, friends, and God is in charge of fruitfulness because he's faithful to himself. And so we saw that God wrote the Proverbs. He wrote it so that we might choose whether we are going to go down the wise path or the foolish path. And third, its ultimate end is to point us to Jesus. You're like, where is Jesus in Proverbs chapter 1? Well, it's wise to consider the scriptures as it displays to us who Jesus is and what he's done. Realizing our foolishness, we respond in faith to the gospel, the offer for us where salvation is accomplished by God. But we have a role to respond to the gospel. God does everything, we do something. And Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. In verse 30 of that chapter, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ, friends, is the wisdom of God. And Colossians 2.3, in him, speaking of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. The Proverbs will show us our folly and our desperate need for a savior. The Proverbs will point us to that savior and Jesus. Death is the end for folly, but life for the wise. It is wise to have faith in Jesus, friends, not only for life here and now, but also life to come. The fear of the Lord is dread for those who do not believe the gospel, but it's wisdom to consider the gospel and to believe it. The fear of the Lord is joy and salvation for those who do believe the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And wise Christians follow what the Bible says. This is the heart of the Christian faith. Jesus is the heart and wisdom pumped through our veins and arteries to give us life, to live a godly life where Jesus takes upon himself our guilt and our shame and we receive his righteousness by just believing the gospel. Because it's not just the folks in the Bible who are fools. We too are fools, oftentimes, even in our continued unbelief. And it's wise to believe, but foolish to reject the offer of salvation always before us. And so as we walk through this sermon series this summer, we will be faced with a lot of choices. Will we reject wisdom or will we embrace wisdom? Will we reject foolishness or will we embrace foolishness?
Wisdom provides knowledge of good and evil in a world desperately in need of a savior. Wisdom is knowing that Jesus Christ is the savior and believing in his work on our behalf to provide us the life that we need. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. As the world around us acts like fools, let's go to Jesus as led by the scripture. Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The Bible is the way. And any other way of salvation will always lead to death. Proverbs 15, 24, the path of life leaves upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol. Remember I said hell beneath. There is endless joy, friends, in following God as he directs our flight. We can choose the way of wisdom or we can choose the way of foolishness. We do something, God does everything. And the Proverbs will point us not only to our need for a savior, but to who our savior is. Proverbs will show us that we're sinners. Proverbs will show us our need for a savior and Jesus is the savior, the wisdom of God. The early church and the apostles, they applied this book of Proverbs at least 60 times throughout their writings. The queen of Sheba testified to Solomon's wisdom later on in his life in this world, but Jesus said of Matthew, in Matthew 12, 46, that the queen of Sheba will rise at the judgment and condemn people for not listening to Christ's superior wisdom. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This is Proverbs. Solomon focused on health and wealth and prosperity and success so he can minimize his suffering in this earth. But in the end, Solomon would say in another book of wisdom that he wrote, Ecclesiastes, it was all for naught. He lost out on everything. The pleasure of following God is the way of wisdom. And so consider what Jesus focused his life on. Present suffering for the sake of righteousness and eternal glory. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. In the summer, my prayer is that we will exchange foolishness for the wise words communicating the person and work of Jesus in the Proverbs. It's wisdom to believe in that. The word made flesh is of much greater value than any temporal substitute or pleasure here in this life. Solomon understood that towards the end of his life and he gave this book as an instruction for all who would come after him to heed his wisdom, to learn from his mistakes. Like a good parent, right? We don't go down that path. I've been down that path. You don't want to go down there. Solomon is acting on behalf of God as our good, loving, heavenly father, leading and guiding his children. So would you pray with me as we close out in some worship and song? 
Father, we thank you for your gracious and loving hand towards us, for not leaving your children in their sin, but for leading and guiding us and directing us to your word so that we might have a heart of worship and of wisdom, that we might follow you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, we I'm sure will learn and see uh, over and over again in this study that we uh, prove to be fools frequently. But God, I thank you that we are not seen in your eyes as just foolish children, um, but as your beloved children in whom you're well pleased because of the work of your son who exchanged his righteousness for our sin so that we might be called sons and daughters of God. So we thank you and we praise you. We want to lift up our voice now once again and sing of how great you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.